Standing sentinel over the Mediterranean shores of the land Christians call holy rises a conspicuous peak called Carmel, which forms the connecting nexus between two other significant mountain ranges that redound with sacred memory. To the north, the Galilean range, and ranging to the south, the Judean. This sacred connecting mount, Carmel, and the land which takes its name from her have come to resound univocally with the woman promised since the beginning of salvation history. It is a promise spoken by our Lord God from the very first pages of sacred writ, the so-called proto-gospel of Genesis 3.16. That is, that the enmity between the first woman Eve and the wicked serpent will be resolved by the seed of another woman, the promised one, who will come to crush that serpent with his heel. The prophets, especially Isaiah, remind God's chosen ones of the sign by which God will herald this decisive intervention in human history, namely, a virgin with child. Which sign in the heavens John the Divine again describes in his apocalyptic vision on the Isle of Patmos. There she is then, this woman who from the first page to the last page of scripture, the woman of the promise, the mother of salvation. To the daughter of Zion, a figure and type of that blessed woman, another prophet Jeremiah places on the lips of the Lord God another promise. Out of Egypt I will bring thee on the day of my love into that land called Carmel. And here we have her first prophetic association with that holy mountain. She to whom the Almighty entrusted his only begotten son during the massacre of the innocents. For also of him who will be the heir to the throne of David sings the psalmist, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Alas, all the freshness of that land of promise, Israel turned to salty brine through the crimes of God's unfaithful, ungrateful chosen people. And then wept Jeremiah, I looked and behold, Carmel was a wilderness. But from the salty expanse of the sea, the prophet Elijah sees rise from a cloudless sky a sign in the heavens, all in white, a cloud taking the shape of that heel, which will come forth to crush out all evil from the land and establish in its place a land called married, a bride, worthy of so great a groom that the canticle of canticles can sing of her that her head will be like Mount Carmel herself, her hair like the precious threads of royal purple, the purple that is extracted from the shells of the fisheries located around the base of Mount Carmel, Cape Carmel. Dom Prosper Guéranger, maestro of the liturgy, writes in his entry for the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, O blessed cloud, unlike the bitter waves from which it sprang, it was all sweetness, docile to the least breath of heaven. It rose light and humble among the immense weight of the ocean. And screening the sun, it tempered the heat that was scorching the earth and restored to this stricken world life and grace and fruitfulness. 
From the slopes of the sentinel called Carmel flows the Chizon, a torrent which Jeremiah saw drag away the carcasses of the Canaanites when Deborah won her famous victory and which works to level the plain where Gideon overthrew the Madianites, marching against them in the name of a woman. The Canticle of Canticles describes as terrible as an army set in array, after receiving her sign in the dew-covered fleece, and where Sisara felt the power of what the book of Judges calls the mother in Israel. This plain is called Esdralon, and it constitutes the very foot on which stands Mount Carmel, everywhere redounding with prophetic indications of the one destined to crush the serpent's head forever. Betulia is the home of Judith, who is a type of Mary, since it was of her that they sang that she was the joy in Israel and the honor of her people. Tu Letizia Israel, tu honorificentia popoli nostri. And nestling in its northern hills rests the so-called white city, Nazareth, which the fathers called the Flower of Galilee and its holy home, where a maiden would welcome the announcement of an archangel. Don Prosper Guéranger considers that when eternal wisdom was playing in the world, forming the hills and establishing its mountains, Carmel was destined to be the special inheritance of Eve's victorious daughter. And when the last thousand years of expectation were opening and the desire of all nations was developing into the spirit of prophecy, the father of prophets, Elijah, ascended this privileged mount, this mons privilegiatum, thence to scan the horizon for his God. The triumphs of David and the glories of Solomon had come to an end. The scepter of Judah had been broken by the schism of the ten tribes, threatened to fall from Israel's hand. The worship of Baal prevailed in Israel, and a long-continued drought, a figure of the aridity of man's hearts, had parched up every spring, and men and beasts aside were dying along empty cisterns. When Elijah the Thesbite gathered the people representing the whole human race on Mount Carmel and slew there the lying prophets of Baal, and then, as Scripture relates, prostrating with his face to the earth, he said to his servant, Go, look up towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And again he said to him, Return seven times. Six times there was nothing. And the seventh Behold, a little cloud arose out of the sea like a foot. Elijah then felt his youth renewed, and in this representing the whole of our race, and while the welcome rain was already falling, he ran before the chariot of the king across the Ezralon's plain until reaching Jezrahel, which means the seed of God, where Hosea had promised the Lord he would seal his nuptials with a new people. It was from here that would come a mother whose son, by ascending Mount Carmel, would cause Elisha to raise from the dead in a type of us all, since Elijah had by then taken the mantle and spirit of Elijah after he was taken up in a fiery chariot. 
to tender his testimony with Enoch before the son of the woman of the sign that was signified by the cloud. Writes Geronger, Henceforth Carmel was sacred in the eyes of all who dared to look beyond this world. Gentiles as well as Jews, philosophers and princes came here on pilgrimage in search of the one true God, while the chosen souls of the Church of Expectation, many of whom were already wandering in deserts and mountain places, came to take up their abode in its thousand grottos. For the ancient tradition seemed to live and longer more lovingly in its silent forests, and the perfume of its flowers foretokened the Virgin Mary. The cultus of the Queen of Heaven was already here established then, and to the family of her devout clients, the ascetics of Mount Carmel, might be applied the words spoken later by God of the pious descendants of Rakab, there shall not be found wanting a man of this race here standing before me forever. And so, from the midst of the Gentile world, there arose a new Zion, more loved than the first, a maternal figure, which Isaiah had recognized eight centuries before as the glory of Lebanon and the beauty of Carmel and Saron, which was given to her. But at length, Figures give place to reality, the heavens drop down their dew, and the just one came forth from the cloud of promise. And when his work was done, and he returned to his father, he left his blessed mother as a gift to the world, sending her spouse, the Holy Spirit, to animate the soul of the church. And not the least triumph of that spirit was the making known of his spouse, Mary Most Holy, to the newborn Christians of Pentecost. What a happiness, writes Geronger, for those neophytes who were privileged above the rest to be brought to the Queen of Heaven, the Virgin Mother of Him, who was the hope of Israel. The promise is fulfilled today. In the martyrology of this feast, the Church tells us how the disciples of Elijah and Elisha became Christians at the very first preaching of the apostles and being permitted to hear the sweet words of the Blessed Virgin Mary herself and to enjoy unspeakable intimacy with her, their veneration for her was fulfilled immensely. And returning to their beloved mountain refuge, where their less fortunate predecessors had lived only in hope, they built on the very spot where Elijah had seen the cloud rise, the first oratory to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to the purest of virgins, and they obtained for themselves here the name, the Brothers of Blessed Mary of Mount Carmel. And their ranks grew, but they swelled immensely when pilgrims from all over Europe, who were freed only in the 12th century by the establishment of the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem to visit once more the holy places, it became expedient then in the 12th century to render their hitherto eremitical or hermit way of life into a form more in accordance with the customs of the Latin orders. The apostolic authority of the Patriarch of Antioch gathered them together under their first prior general, St. Berthold, into a canonical community, and shortly thereafter the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem imposed upon them the first rule of the order. 
And this order, which now through the influence of princes and knights returning to Europe, began to spread, first into Cyprus and then Sicily and then the countries westward across the Mediterranean. And this was a providential development, since the vindictiveness of the Saracens soon forced the dread decision of a full assembly of the brothers on Mount Carmel under their prior Alan the Breton to migrate the whole order westwards for its safety, leaving only those few friars most eager for martyrdom to guard the cradle of the order on the sacred mountain. And henceforth, Carmelites carry their holy mount with them mystically, the ascent of which has become synonymous with growth in the interior life. In that very same year, the first chapter of the order in the West, elected for their prior general, Simon Stock, at Aylesford in England. It was a triumph of their struggles to find acceptance of this ancient order in the West against the prelates who argued that the Lateran Council had prohibited the introduction of new orders of mendicant life. Or rather, it was a triumph of Our Lady herself, who had turned the heart of Pope Honorius III to issue the decree of confirmation dated July 16th, which is the origin of the great feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And he would not be the first vicar of Christ to be docile, like Christ himself at Cana, to Mary's maternal command. During the night, between July 15th and July 16th, in the year of our Lord 1251, the gracious Queen of Mount Carmel, confirmed by a mysterious sign, their new right of citizen, which she had obtained for them in the church, when she conferred on them, by imposition of her own queenly hands, their distinctive garb of the great, this greatest and most ancient religious family, the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, ennobled by her own sacred hands. This new banner of Our Lady was imposed over the shoulders of St. Simon Stock, together with this solemn promise, whoever shall die wearing this habit shall never suffer the eternal hellfire. Writes Dom Prosper Guéranger, this was neither the first nor the last favor bestowed by the sweet virgin upon the family that had lived so long under the shadow, as it were, of her mysterious cloud, and shrouded like her in humility with no other bond, no other pretension beyond the imitation of her glory. It would seem as if she herself had desired their translocation westward, just as before the close of that same century she would command her angels to carry into the Catholic West her blessed house of Nazareth to Loreto, where it stands today, and whose name graces the litany on which we will reflect during these days together. It is almost as if the one called for the other, just as each completes and explains the other, as each was to be for the West the signal for wonderful favors from heaven. And this was not to be the last of her promises for those who endorse her sacred habits, not against hellfire alone, in 1316, when the whole of Christendom was appealing to her to end the long drought or widowhood of the church which followed the death of Pope Clement V and before John XXII ascended the throne of Peter, the Queen of Heaven revealed to the future Pope his impending election and appealed to him 
to publish the privilege she wished to obtain from her son for all her children of Carmel, namely, that I, their mother, will myself graciously descend into purgatory on the first Saturday following their death, and whomsoever I shall find there wearing my holy scapula, I will speedily deliver and transport to the mountain of eternal life. Those are the words of the Sabbatine privilege of their glorious order, quoted from the lips of the Blessed Mother herself in the bull, published by James Dews as soon as he was crowned Pope John XXII. And despite challenges to such audacious promises, subsequent popes have confirmed the privilege and have condemned its detractors. The many indulgences with which the popes have time and again ennobled and enriched these Carmelite institutions are beyond enumeration in a homily. Oh, the generosity of Mary! Oh, the pious gratitude of her Carmelite children for the refuge granted to them in the West from the threat of the Saracen, and the solemn authority of St. Peter, which has confirmed these spiritual riches. If this weren't enough, through the confraternity of the Holy Scapula, the spiritual riches have been extended immeasurably by being made available not only to the professed religious of this order, but to all the members of the faithful who wish to associate themselves with and participate in the merits and privileges of the work of the whole order of Mount Carmel, as we do today. Who can forget the pious example of the saintly pontiff of our own times, St. John Paul II, who faithfully wore this holy habit and was taken by Our Lady to the house of the Father on a Saturday. Who can doubt the benefits of the spiritual benefactions of our own little Carmel of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph for the whole of this Diocese of Lincoln, although they lie hidden there on their own privileged mount, Mons Privilegiatum, they are unseen, the engine room of the bark of Peter in this place. How eagerly, then, do we who are the beneficiaries of their prayer and penance wish to associate ourselves also with its merits for the kingdom they labor there to establish on God's earth. The rule of St. Albert, the particular order of the Carmelite order, instructs its members to ponder the Lord day and night, to keep watch at his prayers. Like the wise virgins, they busy themselves to be found ready by the Lord who at his coming rewards those who do more than they were obliged to do. And in this, trimming their wicks, they make themselves also a vigilant self-offering, their lives burning out their fuel at the altar of atonement. Like Mary herself, juxta crucem, at the foot of the cross, her station keeping. What a treasure Carmel has bequeathed the world. With Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Therese of Lisieux, Elizabeth of the Trinity, Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, Edith Stein, Mary Magdalene of Pazzi, Teresa de los Andes, Raphael Kalinowski, and the litany continues. How can we forget the great martyrs of their order, especially the brides of the Carmel of the Compiègne, who made themselves an offering for the peace of France, elder daughter of the church, and were arrested and executed for their faith, wearing their brown scapula, pregnant with its promises, mounting the gallows, chanting hymns to their blessed mother, and radiant with joy to go to meet their eternal spouse. 
Who can quantify the miraculous graces which have been obtained through that humble wedding garb of the scapula? Who but Christ alone? How fortunate we are to share in it. Christ's vicar on earth, Pope Benedict XIII, in the 18th century, in recognition of the abundant manifest graces with which Our Lady showers the whole world through this practice, extended the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel to the Universal Church, endorsing the universality already gained by the veneration of the great Queen of Carmel. O Queen of Carmel, hearken to the voice of the Church as she serenades you at this Mass. When the whole world was languishing in ceaseless expectation of the promise, already you were its hope, vita dulcedo et spes nostra. But unable then to understand as yet your greatness, it loved to clothe you nevertheless in types and forms. Grateful in advance for benefits yet unseen, it garlanded you with every notion of beauty and strength and grace suggested by the loveliest of landscapes, the flowery plains, the fertile valleys, the wooden heights of Carmel, whose very name means plantation of the Lord. On its summit, our fathers, knowing that wisdom had set her throne in the clouds, quickened by their burning expectation the coming of the saving sign. And when he who makes his dwelling in the obscurity of the cloud has shown himself to the practiced eye of Elijah, the father of prophets, then did a chosen band of holy hermits gather in the solitudes of the blessed mountain as Israel before in the desert to watch for the least movements of the mysterious cloud to receive light in their long night of expectation. O beloved mother, who presided over these watchers of God's army. Now that the Lord has come down to the world through thee, it is the whole earth that you cover as a cloud, bestowing blessings in abundance. Your ancient clients, sons of the prophets, experiencing this, when the land of promise, having become unfaithful, they were forced to transplant into other places their customs and traditions, they found that even there where they went, the cloud of Carmel gave forth its fertilizing dew, and that nowhere would be found wanting your protection. O Mother of God, your feast of Mount Carmel is authentic proof of their gratitude. And while we join with them in thanksgiving, we ask also that you, Mother of Divine Grace, repay our eternal debt of gratitude to them, protect them ever, Guard them in difficult times when the hypocrisy of modern persecutors threatens more faith, fatal results even than the rage of Saracens. Preserve deep in the roots of the old stock, life abundant, and let it rejoice in the accession of new branches, bearing like the old ones fruits and flowers that are pleasing to you. Cultivate in the hearts of your sons and daughters that spirit of retirement and contemplation which animated their fathers. Keep wherever the Holy Spirit has established them, all your sons and daughters, in fidelity to their glorious past, that their holy lives may ever avert the tempest and draw down blessings from your mysterious cloud. May the perfume of penance which breathes from that holy mountain purify the corrupted atmosphere around, and may Carmel ever present to the spouse, ever present to the spouse the beauties he loves to behold in his bride. Amen.